The, the problem is this, and you see it on your handout. We must grasp as believers that we will experience suffer before we experience glory. That's what he says in verse 17. That's really what springs forth, verse 18. In the midst of verse 17, listen, you will, not be, you will not be glorified with him unless you're willing to suffer for him. But, listen, for the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that, it be, that is to be revealed in us. The reality is, believer, we'll suffer. This is not our home. We're, the ways of this world are not the ways of the kingdom. We're, we're aliens, we're sojourners, if you will, as Paul calls us. This is not our home. And what Paul calls for in the midst of that is, is perseverance. And in the midst of that perseverance, what he holds out in order to help us persevere is hope. Hope. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes. And listen, we understand that. Why do athletes train why do, why do students endure and seek to get good grades? Because there's a, there's a trophy waiting. There's a scholarship waiting. There's, there's motivation in what is out there which, which demands and commands and guides how we live now, right? You get a vision for what's out there, and you say it's worth it, and therefore you conform the here and now. You confirm, you conform everything leading up to that prize to what it's going to take to get that prize, right? We understand that. You know, the Major League Baseball playoffs are going right now. Why did those players endure a spring training and endure a 162-game season? Why? Because they want to win a crown. The glory that is waiting for them, if they win the World Series, they've deemed it's worth the suffering. We live across the street from a, a man who plays for the, the Houston Astros. He's a very young player. He's 21 from Cuba. Um, I told Karen, and he, he got caught up with the majors, and he's, he's doing amazing. I said, Karen, he ain't going to live in our neighborhood long. He's got a big old contract waiting for him. He'll be out of Pine Glen in about two seconds. The point is this. We were over talk, I was talking to his wife as they moved in and just saying, hey, we're across the street. If you need anything, if we can serve you, and, and I said, well, you know, I asked her about her husband, and she says, well, he's out of town, and I said, you know what, you know, I was asking questions, and she said, she was kind of, she didn't want to say it, but then she said, well, he actually, he plays baseball for the Houston Astros, and uh, she said, he's gone February to November. Little baby at home, why, why are they willing to weigh that price? Why, I mean, why are they willing to pay that price? <clears throat> Not only does he make good money, I'm sure, but he wants to win a ring. The glory of winning the World Series is enough for him to be away from his family from February to November. Suffering. Listen, is the glory that's waiting for us in heaven... <clears throat> Is that not worth it? That's what Paul's getting at here. The present sufferings and the main point, excuse me. The main point, you see it on your handout, that we've got to grasp is the unbreakable connection. And again, this is where 
This is where the security, this is where the assurance comes in. There is an unbreakable connection, Paul says, between our present status of being justified and our future status of being glorified. Fueling, fueling, and here's what it is, fueling a believer to wait with patient fortitude. That's the word I want us to walk out of here with today. That's the idea that I want us to grasp here today, patient fortitude. The present sufferings, for I do not consider, for I consider, Paul says, that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Listen, if you've ever taken a road trip with your kids, if you've ever taken a road trip with your kids, what's that question they ask? Are we there yet? Listen, we could be driving 20 minutes to Meemaw's house, and I'm going to get asked four times. You know we're not there yet. We're in the car still. Would we be in the car if we were there yet? It doesn't even make sense, but, but, but they ask it. It doesn't matter if it's a 15-minute trip or if, or if we're going to the mountains and it's 13 hours. Are we there yet? Here, here's the point. We long, we long to get where we're going. We long to get to the destination. The problem is, is that the travel time can be torture. Oh, thanks. You put it there, bro. Sorry. Thanks. Where it was driving. The, the travel time can be torture. It doesn't matter if, if we're going over to Disney World or if we're going to Mima's or if we're going wherever. The travel, it's, it's, it's the travel time. We, we want to just snap our fingers and be there. And, and the challenge is this, and, and I, may not be, I may be the only one that feels this, maybe not. Once you get there, it, always, it doesn't ever seem as bad as while you're in the car. And, and the reality is this. Why is it that coming home always takes less time than getting there? Right? It always seems like when you come home, man, that was like half the time. It's because of the anticipation. It's because of the groaning. It's because of the longing. That, that's essentially what Paul is saying in Romans 8.18. Believer. We're not there yet, but we're promised to get there. And when you get there, it will be worth it. No matter what it costs you, no matter how long you had to wait, it will be worth it. So wait with patient fortitude. Paul is equipping believers to wait well. Whatever you're facing... Whatever you're facing today, believer, whatever you have faced, whatever you will face, your salvation in Jesus Christ is secure. Your, your promise of reaching the destination of glorification is secure. Try, what he's saying is this, trials in no way, shape, or form cancel God's promises. They, don't, they do not cancel it. And the challenge, if we're honest, is, listen, we're not immune to the, to the challenges of this world, to the suffering of this world. We live in a fallen world. But what Paul is saying is, I'm assuring you that that sinfulness, that fallenness of this world cannot touch your salvation. Again, this is real life here. What Paul is getting at here is real life. I'm sure all of us have been asked or asked ourselves the question, why do Christians suffer? 
Listen, I hear this all the time. Why do good people suffer? That's the wrong question, okay? Because the Bible's clear. There ain't none good. Okay? Why, the better question is why do God's people suffer? That's really what you're struggling with. Why do God's people suffer? How do we maintain hope? Listen, and I say this in the midst of a, of, of a, a church of this size. I know and very familiar with and praying on a daily basis for your circumstances. Even right now, your circumstances, many of you, are, are not what we would want. How do we maintain hope in the middle of that? Why do God's people suffer? Why does God allow that? And, and does that, again, bring into question Romans 8.1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? And what Paul is saying is this, again, and you see it on your handout, in the midst of suffering... It is exactly the hope of future glory for the believer that Paul puts forth as the solution for our waiting. Here's the point. If your kids deem that where they're going is worth it, they'll hang in there, right? Believer, if you deem that it's worth it, that that future glory is worth it, you'll hang in there. You'll persevere. Again, we will, but we don't suffer alone if indeed we suffer with him, Romans said. Romans 8, 17. That's why I read Philippians 2. Listen, you're not better than your master. Luke says a disciple is not above his master, but he will be like his master. Guess what happened to our master? He died. He was crucified. Guess what happened to all of his followers in his day? They died bad. Like, they didn't just fall, they didn't die in their sleep. They died horrific deaths. The, 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 the path of Christianity, the growth of the church, has rested on the backs of martyrs. We're not immune to that. But Paul says, listen, I consider that these sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory of that is to be revealed in us. And you see it on your handout. The reality we must get settled in our hearts. You see it on your handout to understand is the life that we enjoy right now as God's children, it's incomplete. Meaning we are not yet fully. We do not have fully what we will be one day. It's promised. That's why he goes on in the context. Creation groans and we groan. But that's the essence of hope. If, if you looked in this passage, the word hope appears all throughout this passage. Look at the idea of future glory, the idea of hope. Look at verse 23. And not only this, but we excel ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves groan, waiting eagerly. See that? Waiting eagerly. It's future. Look at verse 24. For in hope we have been saved. Future. It's a hope that is not seen. Future. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. You go to verse 29. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn of many brethren. See the role of the Holy Spirit here while we wait. This is where, again, Ephesians 1.13 comes in, that the Holy Spirit is a, is a down payment if you will, a pledge, it says. It's a seal. That no matter what, God's coming back for you. No matter what, you belong to Him. 
And it's the Spirit who was given to us to assure us in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this waiting, and you see it on your hand out there, what we must see and comprehend is that God has graciously gifted believers, His children, with the Holy Spirit to bridge, the word is bridge, to bridge the gap between our present status of justification and our future status of glorification. It's the Spirit that guides. It's the Spirit that fuels the perseverance. That's why it's, it's so devastating to our lives as believers when we grieve and quench that spirit, when we starve that spirit of the word, when we starve the spirit of the fellowship of believers, when we live lives that don't abide in the vine and, and, and all this stuff that we've talked about. Please understand the consequence to your Christianity, to your walk. It, it, it's really, and this comes to me, it's really the difference between if you just told your kids, get in the car, we're going somewhere, and you told them nothing, and, and they had no idea versus when, if versus, that's one way, but versus if you put tickets to Disney World in their hand, and you said, get in the car, let's go. You see the difference? God has put the tickets in your hand. He's put the Spirit in you. And again, all illustrations break down, but, but I, I think about the spirit of adoption and fostering that's so prevalent in this church. And, and imagine, imagine, and I think this illustration all falls short at some point, but imagine a child being adopted in Asia and, and, and the agency puts in their lap papers that are signed, that are sealed, that are permanent, that says, listen, you have been adopted by a family in America Get on the plane and fly to them. And there's a family waiting for you in America. Look at that child. The child sits on that plane. He has the, not that anybody does this, but bear with the illustration. They're sitting on the plane. The papers are in their lap. He can read the papers. He can look at the paper, he or she. The, paper, the papers guarantee the promise. But listen, the whole time that child is on the plane flying to America, what keeps him on the plane? Hope. Are they adopted? Yes, they're adopted. Is it final? Yes, it's final. Have they experienced the full blessings of being adopted yet? No, they have not. When will they experience that? When they get off the plane and their mom and dad bring them into their arms and take them home as a family. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Believer, you've been adopted. It's a final it's a done deal. But we're not yet fully what we will be one day. And while we wait, God is conforming us into the image of His Son. That's the, see the context even of sanctification. While we wait, the issue is while you wait, how will you wait? Is it certain? Yes, your future believer is certain. Is it fully realized? No. But what keeps you going? Hope. Hope. And listen, what fuels your hope? The Word of God. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the what? 
scriptures, we might have hope. While you wait, believer, what has God graciously given you to fuel your hope? The scriptures. And yet, listen, for the fear of stepping on toes, what is the one thing that we tend to neglect? The scriptures. Do you see the correlation with why, why maybe our hope is so weak? Maybe why we're weak? God has said, while you wait, feast on the scriptures. What, what, why the scriptures, Chris? Because he's given us thousands and thousands of years of a picture of his faithfulness. A picture of faithfulness in the midst of sin. A picture of faithfulness in the midst of suffering. And he never once didn't follow through on his promise. So if you know the scriptures well, when you suffer, you realize, listen, I'm not alone. My situation isn't even new, isn't new, unique. That's what he says in Corinthians. Brothers, see that no temptation has come upon you, but such as what? is common to man. Your situation isn't unique. And that's where the scriptures come in. That's where fellowship with other believers comes in. Because again, if we live isolated lives, void of others, void of the scriptures, you know what we start to think? I'm all alone. I'm unique. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Listen, there's nothing you're going through that nobody else has gone through. There's nothing you're going through that God is not prepared to walk you through. That's why 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, Comfort others with the comfort you've been comforted with. Sometimes the reality is this. God may walk you through something for the sole purpose that in six months another believer needs to be walked through that. And so he walks you through it so that you'll be prepared to walk them through it. And, and what Paul is saying is this. Listen, specifically, you see it on, on your handout there in Romans 8.18, our ability to suffer well is rooted in the hope of glory that God has promised to believers. If we don't view heaven and our glorification highly enough, the present sufferings will be way out of context. Listen, if the prize isn't worth it, you won't do it. And, and that's what the four, again... Look at the 4 in 18 shows I'm continuing a thought that I began in 17. And what does he tell us? You see it in your handout. We are guaranteed of our inheritance in heaven. We're co-heirs, he said in 17. Guaranteed. But, B, we will have to suffer in order to inherit it. And that suffering proves, listen, that suffering proves that our hope is truly in the gospel or not. And, and again, this is where, again, what does he say? For I consider that the present sufferings. Consider. And, and I wish I would have put this on the notes. I thought of it Saturday as I was reviewing but the key, the, key to the, the key to our transformation, it's found in our contemplation. You can write that down if you want. The key to transformation, it's in contemplation. Consider. In Romans 12, he's going to say, 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your what? What do you do with your mind? You think. It's, it's considering what Jesus has done. That, that's the idea of even the, the Lord's Supper is monthly, being, physically having these elements in our hands to remind us, to be mindful. And I would argue, listen, that's, that's what you and I need. We don't need five steps to this and four steps to this and three steps to this. We, we need to consider I'm studying the parables right now in my own personal quiet time and, and, and time with the Lord. And, and I was studying Matthew 13 this week and the, the parable of the lost treasure and the, the parable of the, of the pearl. And I was reminded of just the beauty of contemplating, of contemplating the gospel, contemplating the treasure, contemplating the God who authored it, contemplating the God who satisfied meditating on them. And I was reminded of this. I, I was reminded of this. As a believer, we must see Jesus as beautiful. Not useful, beautiful. He's not some pathway to get this or that. He's the pathway to have your sins reconciled, your sins forgiven and to be reconciled to God. It's not so you have a beautiful marriage. It's not so you raise great kids. It's not so that you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. The gospel is about you having your sins forgiven. Listen, we as believers, we ought to be great spouses. We ought to be great parents. We ought to be great friends. We ought to be all that. Why? Out of a gratitude as we consider the gospel. Jesus is not a means to, to just get what you want. He's the treasure in the field. And, and I think that's why Paul says here to consider. You and I, believer, as we consider the gospel, it gives us a new mindset. It gives us a new perspective. Paul, what Paul is doing here is offering us a wider view, a, vi a wider perspective on suffering. Listen, if we just suffer and die, then suffering is needless. We were talking about that with our kids Tuesday in Philippians 1, and we were looking at 21 through 29 in our home devotions, and, 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 and our kids were, and, and Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, and he goes on to talk about it. if I die, I get Christ, if I stay here, I get fruitful ministry, and I'm torn, and, and our kids were very honest with some things. And we talked to them that, listen, the only way death is gained is if it gets you to your end goal. That's the gospel. What Paul is saying is suffering is not the final word. Adversity is not the final word. God's doing something. And Paul is offering us a wider context to view suffering. You know, we talked about in, in Philippians 1.29, he says, For it has been granted to you not only to suffer for Christ, but to, not only believe in Christ, but to suffer for him. And, and it's interesting, right before that, it says in verse 28, In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. And, and my son was very honest. He said, Dad, that changes my whole perspective on suffering. I said, what do you mean, son? He said, 
that verse tells me that suffering actually proves to me that I'm God's child and the person who's persecuting me isn't. I said, that's exactly what it reminds you of, son. But until we, have this, until we have this high view of God and until we are totally assured of what we get in glory, we won't see it that way. We think the opposite, that suffering question, brings into question my relationship to God. And the Bible says it does the opposite. It proves that you're God's. And that the one who is persecuting you isn't. But you see how it goes back to considering? It goes back to being, being, letting the word of God, Colossians 3.16, richly dwell within us. And you see it on your hand now. For the believer, Paul is saying we must weigh suffering in the balance with our promised future. With the glory. That's exactly what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and following, our inner man is being renewed day by day. Listen, for momentary light affliction, and if you want to know what he calls momentary light, go back to chapter, go forward to chapter 11. Beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks. Light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory Far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Do you see the perspective? Do you see how we're to consider? Consider. Mindset. Paul, Paul is saying, whatever you suffer here on this earth, he's not diminishing it except for in light of eternity. If you weigh it, if you put this on the scales, it's heavy by itself. But if you put glory on the other side of the scales, light. But we've got to consider that. We've got to have, that's why Paul in Colossians 3 says, you know, having an earthly, don't have an earthly mindset, have a, a, a heavenly mindset. Fix your mind on the things above where Christ is seated. Do we suffer? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. Uh, but he's saying, have the mindset. Consider this. It won't compare to heaven. It won't compare. And, and if we view suffering without the hope of future glory, it won't make sense. And Paul, you see it there. What is he saying? You see it there, the next fill-in. He's reminding you, again, suffering is not the final word. And again, if you want to go to 2 Corinthians 12, God gave Paul this awesome vision in verses 1 through 4 of heaven and all the glory that was to be revealed. And, and because of that, you get the context of 7 through 11 with, with Paul's thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. But Paul is saying, listen, I've seen it. It doesn't compare. Matter of fact, God is doing a great work. That's what we saw in Romans 5, that God is doing a great work, that suffering produces perseverance, and proof of perseverance, character, and character hope. And that hope, that hope that is purified and rooted in Christ, does not disappoint. Which that phrase, does not disappoint, is a common theme all throughout the Scriptures, even in Romans 9 and 10. We'll get to it in, uh, eventually in 9.30 and then in 10, right about verse 16. 
those who trust in God, you know what it says? Will not be disappointed. You see our future hope? And you see it on your handout. Paul continues again to offer assurance that we can be confident that it doesn't compromise our future glory. That's what he's saying. Listen, and, and, and again, illustrations, I can be terrible at them. I sometimes, do, and I'm not at all, hear me, especially this one. I'm not at all pretending that I know what it's like to birth a child. Please understand that. I'm not at all pretending, and I'm certainly, certainly not minimizing it. But, but you think about the trials of pregnancy, the birth, the labor pains, the recovery. That's just the delivery, never mind the late nights, the feedings, all that goes with it. Why do you do it? Because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. And if someone says, hey, talk to me about your child, you know what you tend to not mention you hardly ever go back to the delivery. You know what you talk about? You talk about what they're doing. You talk about their accomplishments. You talk about the person and the character. You don't go back and say, well, let me tell you about the 32 hours that it took. No, you don't do that. Now, you might somewhere in the conversation, but usually that's when you're poking fun at them or something. Let me tell you what a pain you've been so far. You started out that way, you know, whatever that conversation is. If we would consider, listen to what Martin Luther said. Listen to what he's, Martin Luther, about trials. Listen carefully, because he, he writes at a whole other level. If we consider the greatness and the glory of the life we shall have when we have risen from the dead, it would not be difficult at all for us to bear the concerns of this world. Of this world. If I believe the word... I shall on the last day, after the sentence has been pronounced, not only gladly have suffered ordinary temptations, insults, and imprisonment, but I shall also say, and here's the sticker, Oh, that I did not throw myself under the feet of all the godless for the sake of the great glory which I now see revealed. You know what, you know what Martin Luther says there? When we get to glory... Not only will we not compare the present sufferings, there's, we'll have, if we could do this, we would have wished we would have been willing to suffer more because of the glory that has been revealed. And that's exactly where we started. When you get there, it's like, why did we complain? This is so worth it. Oh, that trip, those 13 hours were nothing. Look at where we got. But, but we got to consider that. This momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory. It, it may simply be a, a relinquishing uh, binds on this world so that you'll love God more, but that's worth it. It may be relinquishing the mindset that this is our home, but that's worth it. And, and you see it on your hand, the more that we abandon ourselves to Christ here on this earth, the greater the hope of rejoicing will be in glory. 
And, and Paul is, is, is revealing the beauty and the grace of our Lord and, and the, great of glory, the greatness of glory. And, and again, he, he, you see it on your handout, he's writing so that we'll be prepared and even assured. That, again, that's where Philippians 1.28 comes in. I'm writing you, don't be surprised. First Peter, you know what Peter says in verse four, chapter 4, verse 12? Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is among you. All throughout the Bible, he's saying, don't be surprised. And yet, what are we? It goes back to knowing the word. Why, the question, I mean, again, let's drill this down. Why would you and I be any different than every other generation of Christians who have ever walked the face of the earth? Why would we be different? You know what they did? They suffered. But they had hope and they persevered. I mean, that, that's the reason, again, that is the reason why the tree is our logo. All throughout Scripture, if you go to John, you can go to Jeremiah 17, you can go to Psalm 1, the Word of God is saying, do not be chaff that is blown around and, and nothing. Be an oak tree. Isaiah 61.3 calls us oaks of righteousness. Plant yourself firmly in the Word of God. Grow up, be steadfast and immovable. It, we're not, that's not there to be cool or cute or clever. It's there because that's what the Word of God wants your life and my life to resemble, an oak tree. By God's grace, He put three of them in front of the church. Those, those things have been... You, you can go in Melissa's office, there's a picture, and that picture, those things are about this big. And now look at them. Is that your life? They've not gone anywhere. How many hurricanes have we had pass through here? Still there. How many droughts? Still there. How many bad storms? Still there. The winds and the floods came. You know what they didn't do? They didn't touch those oak trees. And what Paul is saying is this. Nothing you face, the suffering that you face, doesn't touch your inheritance. It doesn't touch it. Your inheritance, 1 Peter 4, 1.4, is, in, in, is, is imperishable. And so, so the application as we close is this. Does this describe you? Do those oak trees out there describe you? Do, do, does, does patient fortitude describe your life? Do you consider that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared? And I want us to I, I, grow group in your grow groups. Discuss this. We're commanded. You see there. We're commanded to wait with fortitude, expectantly hoping in the Lord and His return. And so, in our grow groups today, I, I, I want. I, and I apologize. These are literated. They're just how they came to me. I, I shocked myself with this. They weren't meant to be this way. I wasn't trying to be cute. Some of you have told me they they hate alliteration. Well, suffer. Suffer through it. It's momentary and light. Here, here's what I want us to talk about in our grow groups. Because these ought to mark our lives. I, I want us to talk about this. Focused waiting. What does focused waiting look like? I, I, want us to talk, I want you to talk about in your grow groups, what does faithful waiting look like? And lastly, what does fruitful waiting look like? look like 
These these ought to mark our lives. And the gospel, if we would really consider the gospel, if we would really consider it, if the glory that is to be revealed in us is really worth it, listen to me, here's what the Bible says, you'll wait faithfully. You'll wait focused, and you'll wait fruitfully. Fruitfully. 